best part about cold opens are? Uh, tell me, Logan. You don't have to do them. Hello, everyone. I'm Logan Solosh. <laughs> and I'm Andy Carr. And this is Odd Trilogies. That's one way to do it. Yeah. If in case you don't know, Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy is a podcast where we take a trio of films and we talk about the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. But today is a bit different, because today we're bringing back our frequels with one last frequel before we get to our next big trilogy, and that is a Snyder frequel. If you remember the last time we did Snyder, we did Dawn of the Dead, 300, Watchmen, and then our frequel was Legend of the Guardians, Owls of Gahul. Yeah, and we promised at the time that we mm-hmm. would eventually, when the time came, do a, a uh, we would cover Snyder's DC comics films. Yes, indeed. Well, now is that time, well, soon is that yes. time. Uh, the the Snyder cut of Justice League is coming to HBO Max, and we're going to pretty soon here talk about Snyder's contributions to the DC franchise. Um, but, but that is not this episode because there is one film right before he starts doing DC <sighs> films that we need to talk about for a bunch of different reasons because this film is not only his only truly original film. <laughs> In his entire filmography, up until when his next film, Army of the Dead, comes out in May. Yeah. Uh, what a year for Snyder. Two films. <laughs> one-two um, punch. Yeah, one-two punch. It is also the film that I think shows a lot of the issues that will ultimately deter a lot of the content and the, and the quality of his later films, especially writing-wise. Yeah. And that's why we are talking about today in our prequels, 2011's Sucker Punch. Oh, let's do this. Yeah, let's do this. We both have alcohol, by the way. (laughs) Because, I mean, just to go straight out the gate, this is his worst film. As of right now, I mean, when we rewatch the uh, Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, and then we get to Snyder Cut, we'll tell you at the end of those whether we think any of those is worse. Yeah. But at the very, but as of right now, not only is this his worst film Personally, for me, and I think it's the same for you. Probably, yeah. It is all. It's the only film in his filmography I think that is considered a just downright bomb. Yeah. Because at least with Man of Steel, it did underperform. I think a bit, and then Batman v Superman underperformed a lot, but still made a, <laughs> still lot, made of a lot of money. Yeah, just like, had a huge budget. <laughs> like I think almost eight hundred mil, eight hundred million. Yeah. But it was hoping for a billion, because of course. But um. Before we can get to any of the fun stuff, quote-unquote fun stuff with the D- Snyder's DC... We're going to we, do the grunt work. We have to talk about the film that is is quite honestly one of the most just jarring, flabbergasted type stories that I think I've ever seen on screen. And I think it shows clearly as to why Snyder, when it comes to writing should probably have a partner or two or three or maybe maybe don't even write just, the screen yeah, just leave it up to somebody yeah. else in case but you don't Christina. yeah yeah because the thing about sucker punch that gets me is that there is an act genuinely there's a lot of potential here to be something that actually means something is emotional is fun all the way through instead of being like you know there are fun fantasy sequences, and there's just boring shit in between. Yeah. But instead, this film, every time it could take a really easy but understandable route, it makes it more complicated for itself. And that is the entire film. Almost every aspect feels 
overly complicated. Yeah, it it makes it more complicated, but it doesn't give that that content the the room to breathe or the depth or the development that yeah. it needs to make something complicated like that actually interesting. So it's really just he's jumping through a lot of hoops for his own pleasure, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, <laughs> pleasure is such a poor choice of word, but it also <laughs> well, fits in a sad way. Yeah, it is appropriate the same way. But yeah, I mean, this film just feels like an era where, and we don't know for certain, I don't know if he's ever said it outright, but this definitely feels like the film where Warner Brothers wanted him to a degree, or Nolan specifically wanted him to do something for DC. He yeah. was probably in the pipeline, but until then, Snyder was doing a decent enough work for them that he was able to get his own passion project out of the gate. And what we get is one of the worst toxic versions of girl power <laughs> that has ever been put on screen. Yeah, it's it's almost kind of laughable to call yeah. it that. I mean, yeah. it, it's clearly no, what yeah. it's going for. So yeah, like, you're it's... totally right to use it, but it's not effective. Yeah, because it's it's this film is really a good conversation piece in terms of how to not use sexuality, yeah. but also in the fact that like it is clear that in this film Snyder is trying to use sexuality as a way to be um, character building and also just to be more like I'm independent I can yeah. be this way but at the same time it's with the male gaze it's yeah. with his super slow-mo which leads to a lot of like not really upskirt shots but really like <laughs> skimpy outfits and yeah. like slow-mo and yeah I mean it's clearly kind of I, I, I mean I assume the defense he would give of this film and I to be honest have not seen him give his stance on the film in too much detail but I'm assuming what he was going for was these women using their sexuality to their advantage or to, you know, to empower themselves, to be independent. But it's all, it all gets really hairy when it's wrapped up in a mentally ill person's fantasy. And like you said, it's all portrayed through the male gaze, lots of slow-mo belly shots and leg and... It's it, it did never at any point really feels like these women are given a lot of autonomy or a lot of personality. Yeah. Um, so then it's just you're left with a bunch of very young women. I mean, I don't know. Is Baby Doll the main character? She's she's underage. Right? She's twenty. The character is 20? apparently so. Oh, okay. There's there's because one... I got the impression she was like fifteen that's, based on the way the story's told. That's the issue too. Yeah. Is a uh, the main character played by Emily Browning? Her, they don't say what her real name is, but they just call her Baby Doll the whole film, which is just just kind of gross. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of it's yucky. But at the same time, it's like there's a one point where I think her evil stepdad uh, signs like a paper for her and doesn't put her full name, puts like her last name, and then I think she puts like he puts like female twenty, like she's like mm-hmm. like early twenties at least. Right. And at that point, it's like okay, well that point it it just feels so weird that. That's yeah, the case, but just... you got that she was fifteen. And in all honesty, I can't, I can't fault anyone for thinking they're supposed to be yeah, teenagers. Cause, I mean, yeah. cause it's so weird. The premise basically opens up. She's living with kind of an abusive stepfather. Is that the yes. stepfather or yes. an uncle or something? Um, and basically, what her parents die. Her mom dies. Her mom dies, and so he's the one who's kind of responsible for them. But he wants, you know. His their her mother's fortune or something, mm-hmm. uh, or her inheritance basically. So he kind of traps her and her baby doll and her sister in this 
old mansion and I don't know, baby dolls dressed in this like little like nightgown that looks like something a child would wear. And then she goes to the mental institution. Yeah. And once she's at the mental institution and she's like kind of, kind of yeah. living out these fantasies, she's dressed in a schoolgirl outfit that's the rest her, of the movie. That's and it's her like, superhero outfit. Yeah, there's clearly this ongoing image of her being childlike. And, of course, she's just super pale and has very, you know, soft, uh, like, juvenile features. She's, she looks very porcelain. Yeah. She looks she like a porcelain doll. Young and, and innocent. And, yeah. yeah. Which... Is obviously the intention that they want to have somebody who in the main character is going through trauma, trying to overcome said trauma to become more of themselves and, like, overcome toxic masculinity and, you know, uh, advances put towards her and become a more independent, strong woman. Yeah. I feel like that is the intention with Snyder. However, (laughs) I think we've talked about this before, but intention means jack shit when the execution is so rough in this kind of case because it's well and he he kind of creates his own creates problems for himself just from a a writing standpoint Mm -hmm. where i mean you were you were alluding to how complicated it is and like the more layers he adds to this because this movie ends up being like fantasies a series of fantasies within a fantasy within a mentally well not even men- like a, a yeah a mentally unstable but not mentally unstable it's person's a fan- mind. it's a fantasy heist drama yeah and it's, it's just like okay i don't know how much of this is actually empowering when the takeaway of this is that oh it was all in her head or oh it yeah. was you know you know at, at the behest of this abusive mental institution it was mm-hmm. like i just don't know that this is very supportive of anything no healthy it's- it very much is this weird vibe of like, it feels like a lot of the reasons why this film was greenlit is because it's Snyder's passion project. He wants to make this film. He's been making good money for Legendary. He's popular yeah. through 300. Even though Watchmen was critically all over the place, it still made a decent amount of money. Yeah, and it did garner a very, you know, a very passionate yeah. kind of following. I mean, yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people who really like movies really mm-hmm. think that's a great movie and you yeah. know i don't entirely blame people i think that movie has a lot going for it yeah and um so yeah i think they were mm-hmm. justified in giving him some free reign yeah but i think a, one of the reasons why this film probably was greenlit and i feel like is is either it wasn't meant to be felt <laughs> this way but it feels very much if they had pitched this film they would be like it's kind of like inception there's a world within a world yeah. within a world. Because, like, in this film, it, there is reality. And then there is the burlesque brothel fantasy. And then there's the fantasy fantasy, which has all the action sequences, like the World War I uh, German ghost Nazis yeah. that look like they're from Kill Zone, The dragon shit. The futuristic stuff. Like, But at the same time, the film explains this visually in a very confusing way. Yeah. And it, like that's the whole film where it's like, the reason why she's at a mental institution is because she accidentally kills her sister. She tries to save her sister and then ultimately shoots her. And you're like, well, how the hell do you shoot your sister on accident? Well, it's like, well... It's a he, weirdly done yeah. scene. She's like, well, it's easy. You know, she's a horrible shot and it sh- like ricocheted onto her sister. She just died by ricochet. Yeah, she was like trying to yeah. point a gun at her stepfather. Yeah, and then it was a horrible shot, because yeah. he's probably never shot a gun before. That's fine. But then you get to the mental institution, and you're given a time frame. 
in five days there is going to be a doctor that comes through that will give baby doll a lobotomy, which the stepdad is playing uh, paying under the table. <coughs> um, and when and then when you get that, it's like okay. And then the film goes through almost reality where it shows you what the what like it could happen where it's like she does nothing for five days and then she yeah. gets a lobotomy. Then it automatically just cuts to a play version of her dream in the burlesque show played by Abby Cornish. Yeah. And she's like and then she starts criticizing how sad it is. Yeah. And then it's like and then it just cuts back to where we had seen her before, pre montage. And it's like what? Yeah, and Why then pretty much this... the rest of the movie is takes place in this burlesque yeah. studio. Yeah. That is kind of a I guess a fantasization mm-hmm. of the mental hospital on yeah. the part of Baby Doll, I guess. Yeah, in basic terms, Baby Doll makes friends with four other women and has the courage and the idea to plan an escape in the next five days, which includes like getting like f- like four different objects. You know, planning a heist, basically, and using her newfound talents of sexy dancing, or at least in the burlesque fantasy, yeah, is able to distract people while her friends get the items they need to escape. And that's the basic premise. And of course, in classic fashion, in Snyder's case, it is it becomes overcomplicated almost immediately. <laughs> because the biggest issue, too, is the action sequences are fun, are well-directed. Have good moments in them, but it does. When you're watching this, you go, "Why exactly is a woman stealing a map equate to fighting gas Germans yeah, in yeah, World War One?" Basically, and it's like, I don't know. The whenever she goes to dance or perform for these people who are watching her, the, instead of showing you her dance, the film kind of goes into this fantasy depiction i i think of it as like oh she's doing interpretive dance and we're watching the interpretation yeah yeah um or how she's imagining the dance to be meant but then yeah you you get transported to these worlds like oh it's world war one against zombies and they're shooting zombies and i don't know how this yeah how how this analogy translates over into what they're doing in the real world because then suddenly the action scene's over and Oh, they they accomplished what they needed to do, and it's like I don't know who did yeah. what or when they did it or how they did it. And then it's like I oh, know they did yeah, it. Though. They did it. <laughs> it's like they need to get that lighter. Well, after the action sequence, the lighter's missing. I guess they got it. Yeah. It's like sure. Probably the, like, the only one that I can really give credit to for kind of making sense in how it's laid out is the. Uh, I think it's the last one where they have the one. Uh, woman in the crowd with the with the mayor and she's like you know sitting that's the on dragon him. one that's the dragon yeah one. and she's yeah, like yeah. reaching into his coat to try and um mm-hmm. get the key yes yeah. and, and the entire time she's in the in the fantasy fantasy which yeah. is it's gonna be fun <laughs> trying to not be confusing talking right. about that but in the fantasy fantasy it is like they have you know sm they have smgs they're going they have m16s and they're going to fight a dragon <laughs> Yeah, it's but, like uh yeah, it's like Lord of the Rings meets Reign of Fire, yeah. I guess. <laughs> and in in the first fantasy, I'm going to hate doing this every time, but in the burlesque <laughs> fantasy, 
Jamie Chung, who plays Amber, is with the mayor, and she's trying to slowly steal the wife. Yeah, she's kind of like yeah. seducing then, him mm-hmm. and getting all over him and yeah. grabbing. And then in the fantasy fantasy, lighter. she's not a part of the main action because she's flying and tempting and distracting the dragon, which yeah. you could say is the mayor. Right, per se. because the rest of the girls are up on stage dancing, which means they're in the action in the fantasy. <clears throat> yeah, you know, fighting. So it's like okay, that I kind of get that, but like the rest of them are totally. I, I don't think there's actually any meaning to them. It's just Snyder wanted to do a bunch of action sequences and he wanted to have some sort of vague symbolism, as he always does. And he wanted to tell this story that he thought was multi layered and feminist and forward thinking and complex. Yeah. And it's, it's just a series of ideas that don't really work together yeah. and kind of actually actively hurt each other. Because oh my they're gosh. not made to go together. Especially at the ending. It hurts oh, yeah. the absolute most. But like, it's so weird to watch this film and be like, like, if you're trying to do something about, like, the abuse of women in mental institutions or, like, in, in prison, because I feel like there are numbers and statistics that say that that is a thing that happens, oh, yeah. especially with people of power in those institutions, there is – there you can make that work as an analogy per se as in an action film. That's – I don't know. But at the same time, it's like there is – Enough here in terms of talent, in terms of visuals, in terms of just possible outlooks and outcomes that you can make that in terms of the final product, it just feels like it 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 feels like taking the easy option is a cop out, so they take the worst option, which is just confusing, or just goes ugh in terms of like what it's trying to say. Yeah. Especially towards the end when it's revealed to like the fifth item they needed, which uh, Scott Glenn, who was the sensei of all these women, basically. Yeah, he's like the the magical guide who appears in all the fantasies. Yeah. He tells them all the mission, and then he just leaves <laughs> right after the mission is told. But, like, tells Baby Doll that he needs, she needs four things. Uh, what is it? It's a key, a lighter, a map, and a knife. Yeah. Then the fifth thing is secret. And then when it comes up to a point where... You know, Baby Doll and Sweet Pea. Sweet Pea, yeah. yeah Abby Cornish's character um, can't get out of the institution. She believes that the fifth thing is herself sacrificing herself and letting her deal with the abuse and the neglect and the trauma and possible sexual assault solely so Sweet Pea can get out and being like, that's a heroic sacrifice and worthy of what I've done in my life because I have nothing else to live for. Yeah. And it's like, what? Well, I think at that point, ooh, at least, ooh, no. <laughs> at, at, least no. at that point, I think she knows because I think her lobotomy is right around the corner. It's literally the point. next day, I think. Yeah, so I think she knows, like, it's, it's maybe not so much like, oh, I'm going to give myself over to the sexual abuse and whatever and more just i'm gonna give up my brain and my autonomy and my personality <laughs> just because i have nothing to live for apparently yeah and it's like, i have nothing to live for because the rest of my friends who are trying to help yeah. me escape have now died yeah that's also wild that in, in of the five women who are the main characters in the span of less than 10 minutes three of them die very yeah. quickly and it just happens and i remember seeing this in theaters being like oh oh Oh, like they're yeah. all, and then I I was shocked to see how quickly they get to the finale after that. Like it almost feels like oh we've wasted so much time we have to yeah. speed it up and it's like sure, but this is when you decide <laughs> to speed it up during the emotional climax or what's supposed to be that yeah, and gosh and it's 
Oh man, <laughs> everything about this is just like, like I feel like if people who have who have rewatched this recently and enjoy it, I feel like even at its best, this is a YouTube clips movie. <laughs> this is a film that, like, if you want to watch something from the film, you don't watch the whole film. You just watch the clip you remember, and then you forget about it until yeah. you go, oh, remember that clip? And then you remember it again. Well, yeah, and it really is kind of a movie built for that because I don't think I've ever seen another movie where the action sequences are this detached and meaningless to the actual story of what's going on. I mean, pl- plenty of plenty of movies have action for the sake of action because it's a blockbuster and it's got to make money and they got to put butts in seats. But, like, nine times out of ten, there is some tenuous reason mm-hmm. why person A is beating up person B. And it's like, okay, there's a, clearly a goal here. I know what's going to happen. I know why they're fighting. I know what's going to happen when they're done. Yada, yada, yada. We move on through the story. But this, it's like... I, the the fights are literally just interpretations... I guess, of them dancing, which you never see. You never see them dancing. No. Um, you see the start of a dance, and then they do a, they almost a away, 360 yeah. shot of like, oh, now it's fantasy world. <laughs> yeah, it's and like it's, a one-shot transition kind of thing. Yeah, and again, visual, visually... It's interesting. Yeah, Snyder, Snyder does some interesting... They do some interesting camera movements with the cinematography, yeah. and there are some memorable moments where it's like the first time she dances, you start to see snow right before it transitions into the dream world. Right, right. The mirror shot where it's like it, you see yeah. a shot entirely from a mirror and then it almost is like the camera goes through the mirror in like one swoop. It's obviously not one shot, but they make it seem so seamless that yeah. it's not until the second half that you go, well, shit, that was really smooth. <laughs> this this movie is a pretty good showcase of the fact that like Snyder, I don't know that he has a mastery of, but he, he understands or knows a lot of interesting techniques that you can use in filmmaking but and and he he doesn't have a it doesn't seem like there's a lot of sense of how those techniques are used to further the story it's just like oh Mm -hmm. that's a cool shot and i want to do the cool shot so i'm going to put the cool shot in there yeah i feel yeah i feel like a lot of why snyder is still popular (laughs) whether with fans and also probably with the industry and in terms of what we've seen so far Personally, what I've seen in terms of interviews, in terms of the, his films himself, he has a genuine interest, it seems, with every one of his films he's done, where it's like, oh, yeah, there, there's there's, there's an energy and some and passion put towards it. And it's like, I remember watching, I think, interview stuff for Watchmen, and it seemed like he was just excited for everything to just go off without a hitch, excited <laughs> about the set design, excited yeah. about what they want to do cinematography-wise. And then you see other people on sets with him, and it seems like the crew really enjoys him as a yeah, person. Yeah, it seems like he's really pleasant to work with, and yeah. he's a nice guy, and he he does things for people that he doesn't have to do. I think even he, I think with Army yeah. of the Dead, Batista like praised him and loved yeah, working yeah. with him, and, and it's a, like a lot of the like Justice League cast and crew have been that way, you know, I mean, very yeah. supportive of him, and you know, it's like I'm, I'm. It seems like the guy is a very nice guy. I don't know that we would see to eye to eye much uh, ideologically but yeah. he does seem like a genuine person yeah and a a you know a person who does things out of compassion and passion mm-hmm. and genuine investment yeah and it's like that is admirable there's not a single cash grab film in his filmography that's a yeah. that is a compliment i can give that man a hundred percent right where it's like 
even with like I even I love with Gahul where he's basically like I have no idea what any of this is, but I want to learn and I'm here <laughs> to find out. And it's like, yeah. good God, man, that's just like a lot of ex- I'm enjoying this excitement. <laughs> but it's like that enthusiasm. What does it lead to? <laughs> yeah, there is no connection between the enthusiasm Again, and the execution. Enthusiasm is great. Execution <laughs> is key though in this yeah. scenario, and the execution is so flawed. <laughs> Like it is, I I remember the scene at the end where John Ham, oh. John Ham as the lobotomist who they just call the high roller for the majority of the film. Uh, I guess because he gets paid well. I think to, he, yeah, to he, do he, they pay him. He gets paid to do lobotomies, and it they they talk about him like he's like an under the counter like black market guy. But when you see him in the film. It's almost like he's just a dude yeah. who's like, you just asked me to come here to get a lobotomy. I like, I didn't. Yeah. I well, didn't when know. you see him in like the fantasies, I mean, he looks full on, you know, Don Draper, super, yes. you know, debonair. And... Which, which is also very weird because it's, I know in the extended cut, there is a scene dedicated with Baby Doll and the high roller after she gets captured. Mm. But they cut it out of the main, they cut it out of the theatrical release. For good reason, because if I remember correctly, what I've seen of that scene that was in the extended cut is basically almost a you know you want this to happen type scene with her. And it's like really gross. And it's like John Hamm's, I think, doing the absolute best. But this is just, no, it's not working for anything. And then you get to the scene where right after she has her lobotomy and John Hamm looks weird. And he's like, she keeps looking at me funny. Like... Like, she wanted me to do it. It yeah, was like, yeah. like, she gave me a look like she wanted me to do it. And it's like, what does yeah. that even mean? Yeah, I don't, what were you going for there? It doesn't matter what it means. At that point, when you hear a <laughs> phrase like that in a film like this, it just makes you shiver. Yeah, it curdles your blood. Yeah. And, I mean, it's also weird, too, that it's like, we have Carla Gugino in this film as, I believe, in the real world as a psychiatrist. In yeah. the burlesque fantasy, she's a dance teacher that basically tries to help them deal with their trauma in their past through dancing. And it's very clear that she is well aware of the assault and like the abuse of power that is happening amongst the men in the area, but she's letting it happen. That makes her not a good person, but at at least has an interesting aspect in terms of what, how is she supposed to handle this? Yeah. She gets nothing. (laughs) So by the end of it, they treat her like she's a hero. But this time around when I'm watching, it's like, you're, you're a piece of shit too. <laughs> you're I mean, definitely it's, part of the problem. Yeah, it's like yeah, you try to let them deal with their trauma, but you didn't do anything. Like you, yeah. like you didn't try to get like, why is this mental institution of all things like you can't you can't do anything? They they don't let anyone stop anyone here. It's like it's right. a mental institution in Vermont. <laughs> well, like is, is the president of Vermont or is this is like the mayor of like this the mate like why is this such a weird like you can't do anything to change the system in yeah. one institution and it's so weird i mean it's weird to see a cast like this i mean it's i remember seeing this in theaters and mainly interested because this is one of the first films vanessa hudgens does post high school musical three or at mm-hmm. least yeah i think post high school musical three this is one of her first films it's like you know and of course, I feel like that doesn't that doesn't help the situation of every one of them kind of looking younger than they actually are because you know, she goes from being a high schooler in High School Musical <laughs> to being in this, yeah, and having very little to do. Like it's it's very. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of shots of like I think isn't there a shot of a guy grabbing a girl's ass? I feel like there is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't... It might be the mayor. I oh, think it might yeah. be the mayor who's yeah. very. 
He was very nasty looking and yeah, very he's uh, gross. He's yeah. gross. Um, and, yeah, and, and, and you're not supposed to like him. It's very obvious that Snyder doesn't want you to like him, but at the same time, it's like okay, but like, how am I supposed to not like them? But also, you give the women nothing to do. Yeah, like I think out of the actresses, I think Jenna Malone, who plays Rocket, <laughs> she, oh, yeah. pl- she plays Sweet Pea's sister. <laughs> Oh, uh, it sounds it sounds like I'm talking about strippers. <laughs> to yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is the actually I think that was intentional. Yeah. But um, Jenna Malone is that character is very hopeful, very optimistic, and is honestly trying her damn best to get anything out of this material. Yeah. To the point where like her death sequence, her death, her death scene feels like she is doing her best. <laughs> yeah. And it just doesn't really amount to much because the characters are just so flimsy and flat. Yeah, you just don't... Yeah, she probably has the most clearly defined personality out of all of them. But, yeah. But even at that, her personality is basically like she's the the bullheaded one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's implied that both Sweet Pea and Rocket are there because of her, Rocket's actions of something she did outside yeah. of the mental institution, and they don't know why. Like We don't know why because the film... The film wants to give us a Yas Queen, very girl power, like, it's cool to be sexy and also shoot guns and beat ass. But, like, <laughs> when you get to the actual nitty-gritty of, like, the things that matter, character-wise, I can't really tell you the characters of Vanessa Hudgens' Blondie. She has one yeah. moment in the scene, and that's turning on everybody, and then she dies. Jamie Chun's Amber, she has one moment where she has to get her ass grabbed by the mayor, get the lighter... <laughs> And then she dies a few scenes later. Right. Jenna Malone dies. And, she gets and it, stabbed. She, she gets stabbed, but she gets a moment. Like, she gets in the dream sequence, you see her die. So you see Baby Doll is even trying to deal with that trauma yeah. as it's happening in real time. But, like, and then Sweet Pea survives, and then, like, Baby Doll is just lobotomized. But Baby Doll's the worst offender because she's the main character, and she, I think, has the least amount of character. Yeah, has well, yeah, she's just kind of she's she's, she's definitely like a, a passive protagonist. Yeah. I mean, she she doesn't really do anything. She barely says anything. Yeah, if you replaced All of the other her, characters act around yeah, her. If you replaced her with a chicken in a schoolgirl <laughs> outfit, you would get just as much. Yeah, because she's not given much. And I know Emily Browning is good because. She's good in Series of Unfortunate Events, the Lemony Snicket film, and she's also in Legend, the Tom Hardy film where, she, where Tom Hardy plays twins. Yeah. She's pretty good in that, too. She's a good actress, at least, and she just isn't really given much to do in yeah. in this film. And it sucks, because I feel like if you're going to do a girl power film, if you're really trying to show that you are, if you're trying to show the world that you're a feminist and you can make a film that is not overly masculine almost homoerotic to a degree and you're trying to make the flip side of that yeah. you would at least give them more to do than just look cool in skimpy skirts and flips and yeah. not really have anything to do yeah um, it's yeah it's it's sad because i think that yeah. probably the person who gets the most room to play around in is oscar isaac as the villain we haven't even talked about how wild and weird that character yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, he gets all, you know, I mean, not to say he's a good character by any means. No. But, but, you know, Oscar Isaac gets plenty of room to be weird and goofy and over the top and sink his teeth into the kind of malice yeah. of this guy. It's so weird. You know, it's not a, I wouldn't call it a great performance, but, like, he's doing what he can with, you know, he's, the crap he's, he's given. He's got the most to do. Yeah, it's just like, why is this movie so focused on giving him all of the interesting bits 
Yeah, why? Not, why? That, he's, not that he's nuanced, but like he just yeah. has the most to do. He has the most to say. Why is the person who is, I think, I'm heavily implied countless times to be the leader of the orderlies at the institution as well as being the one who sexually assaults several of the women there? Yeah, he has a reputation. He has a reputation for, I think at, at one point it's implied that he's at least sexually assaulted every woman we've seen on screen because yeah. he has to have a, ta- a taste of them Yeah, something along at one those point. Lines. And it's like, how, how does this character who is despicable, you know, irredeemable, get the most interesting performance and the most stuff to work with? Because honestly, the most nuanced scene in the film is with him where it's like he comes back to his office once they've done the whole map heist and he's just like coming in doing his own thing and then he just puts his hand on his copier and oscar isaac acts like huh this copier doesn't feel as cold as it should be it feels like someone's used it (laughs) and then he looks at the wall and notices that the map has been moved and he does all of this entirely visual doesn't say anything doesn't does like the the it, it's the most nuanced scene in the whole film, and it's like 10, it's like 30 seconds. Yeah. And it's so weird that it's given to this monster of a character. He's also weirdly comedic at times. Yeah, he's... Like he's, the whole, yeah. He's going for, I mean, it becomes clearer the longer the movie goes on that they're like going for the, you know, the the eccentric villain. He's a little bit flamboyant, and he's, you know, I, just gets yeah. weirdly upset about certain things and is weirdly okay with other things. Like he has that moment where he shoots two of the women, and then he kind of, mm-hmm. with two fingers... Uh, like, I don't like guns. Disdain, yeah, hands his gun over to his goon and goes, I don't like guns. There's or a, I hate guns. And it's like, oh, gosh. There's there's a pinch of, in my head, a pinch of Hopper, Dennis Hopper from Blue Velvet, where it's like oh, this character yeah. who is, like, he was so unhinged that you genuinely cannot tell when he's about to switch. Right, right, right. And I think Oscar does that well with what he's given. But that doesn't mean yeah. this is, like, in the top ten Oscar Isaac performances. <laughs> this, in fact, should be in the top five performances that Oscar would like to be forgotten. Yeah. Where I think anyone in this film should feel that way. Because yeah. it's like, why? It's every, everything. There's just so little about this film. I guess that's the thing is, I don't hate this movie. It's it's a, it's a bad movie. It's really bad. I don't, but I feel like... I, I, I won't say I had a visceral reaction to it. Yeah. I, I wasn't, like, angry or anything. And in that sense, I think it still makes off better for me personally, not like, you know, on a objective level or whatever word yeah. you use, but like uh, makes off better than uh, like Batman v Superman, at least as it of does. now. I'm interested to see how I feel about that movie when no, we rewatch no, yeah, it. But, yeah. but uh, you know, I found that movie almost, you know, intellectually offensive for <laughs> the, the level of intelligence it thought it was bringing to the table, whereas this is like... It's offensive for other reasons, yeah. but... Um, and the level of intelligence it's trying to bring is, um, you know, <laughs> girls rule, who run the world, girls, yeah, and it just, yeah. it doesn't, it falls flat. And it's, it obviously, I think it changes differently, too, because critics saw that almost immediately. Yeah. It was like... I mean, it's it's just trashy. Yeah. Through and through. Yeah. I mean, everything about it, it's, you know, it's grandiose, it's... I think that's what makes it worse, because it's not trying to be. Yeah, it's, it, or it's, it's at least trying it's to trying be really to be ironically glorious. trashy. Yeah, where it's like in this trashy, like we're owning it kind yeah. of way. But it's like, no, you're just gross. In this trash heap, you find some gems of characters who are just some of the best characters. Like yeah. it almost seems like they're trying to have that interpretation, and it's like, no, there's I mean, very it's, little. It's like a grim, dark attempt at yeah, 
feminism or Abs- token feminism. Yeah, it's yeah. grim dark feminism. It makes Ghostbusters: Answer the Call look like the most the best feminist film in the last yeah. generation. Like it really just feels like why? Like it's it's one of those films where like since we watched it, I've had moments throughout the days where I'm like. Well, maybe this is what Snyder is trying to say with, even if he is, it just doesn't fucking work that way. Like, there's a weird, very weird scene in Sucker Punch where, in terms of the fantasy fantasy world, when they have to get a lighter, they have to slit a baby dragon's throat so they can get two crystals out of its stomach or out of its throat. throat. And when you see the scene, it's like, oh... It's, uh, they're the good guys? That's so weird. But as, at some point in the last few days, I've like, is that supposed to be like a weird like metaphor for like her killing her sister and she's blaming her? It's like I was like, what the fuck? No, no. I, yeah. Even if it is, like, why? Then why is the dragon the mayor? And like, it, it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels it's... like really any attempt to extend yourself intellectually to make this make sense feels like giving Snyder way too much credit. Yeah, it, 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 there's, there's... He clearly did not think about it this hard. <laughs> like, yeah, there's very little substance in here. Yeah. And the only substance that are, is in here is the visual action stuff. And w- with that, just look up Sucker Punch action, find the yeah. clips, and that's, I think... I, and that's... even then, it's like, it's like okay, the like VFX are interesting, I guess. You know, there's a lot of interesting fantasy characters going on, but like... Like I said, there's no story being told with the action, really. So mm-hmm. I guess it's visually stimulating on the most basic level, but I still wouldn't even call the action sequences, like, you know, good action or all that no. cool, even, because there's oh, yeah. no impact. It's just, oh, there's stuff yeah. moving across the screen, and the designs of the creatures are kind of interesting. <laughs> I will say, though, on a so-bad-it's-good level, there are elements to that in this film, yeah, oh, especially yeah. in a group. Like, there are watch, definitely parts to together. laugh at. <laughs> Oh my gosh, every every song choice was just the hilarious thing. Yeah, well, like, the whole soundtrack is composed of kind of... Covers. Gritty covers of popular songs. They picked the, a gritty cover of Sweet Dreams Are Made of These to start off the yeah. film. Which and is so weird. it's not so even weird. Manson's version. <laughs> no, it's not even the version that is actually... It's not even the version that is actually made that yeah. is, like... They were, I, I think, most, if not all, the covers in the movie are were recorded for the movie. Would not surprise me. Yeah, would not surprise me at all. And it's just one of those films where it's like I, I, I don't. I'm not pissed that I rewatched this movie. I don't hate this movie, but my God, I never in my entire life have any interest to watch this no. movie again. And honestly, if you haven't seen it, there's not much point yeah. in doing so. I, you know, I mean, I guess you know. The only reason would be to do what we're doing, which morbid is morbid curiosity. Yeah, being a completionist about you know Snyder's yeah. filmography or that sort of thing. And it's not even like a Dawn of the Dead situation where it's like, oh, this is of a different era. This, of course, obviously worked better in 2004. No, this movie came out in 2011, yeah. two years before Man of Steel comes out. It's been a decade almost since this film came out. Um, it might have been a decade, and in all honesty, it just isn't worthwhile and it really doesn't it feels like a wor- the one of the worst parts of that era yeah where it's like it people are still trying to figure out what the fuck they want to do with blockbusters in terms of like this is the new blockbuster guy right and here comes snyder with an entirely original film and then no surprise after that is only doing an adaptation yeah. for another decade yeah and it's like 
I don't, what else are you going to expect from that? I mean, it's like, it just like, it seems like, because again, I mean, the fact that I think when we were watching this, because you had never seen this before, I saw this in theaters, remember really enjoying it, but at the same time, it wasn't like one of my favorite films of all time or anything. Yeah. It was just one of those things where it's like... And you were what, like 15, 14? Uh, yeah, I would have been 16 that year, and at the time I was like, oh, it was fun. Like, it's no Watchmen, it's not mm-hmm. 300, but yeah. eh, it's fine. And I think a lot of the time, I think a lot of the time when I would kind of be like, I don't think this is a sexist film, I think a lot of the time it's because I feel like Snyder wasn't intending to be sexist, which makes it even worse. <laughs> like, this is not, this is, yeah, it's this 100% isn't a, just the male gaze. Yeah, this isn't a Bay situation Dude, where it's like, this is a hot woman and I want to put her on screen because she is hot. Yeah. Like, this is not the situation. This is supposed to be the opposite of that. And it doesn't feel that much different from that. Right. And it is, yeah. And, and watching this where you're just like, you had no idea that Oscar Isaac was in this. Yep. You had no idea that John Hamm was in this. Nope. And it's like, you watch this and you go, what the, how are these people involved? It's like everyone who's involved in this has either like found their own path and how they want to follow their career and has forgotten this film. Yeah. Or have gotten big enough that this film is literally underground <laughs> and like, People yeah, go, nobody hey, did thinks you... about it as being yeah. one of their films. I think if I remember correctly, um, if anyone watches YouTube, especially movie reviewers on YouTube, Jeremy Johns, yeah. one of the only things he says about Sucker Punch is like, well, at least Oscar Isaac is decent, I guess. This guy, this guy's got a, a future coming for him. Like, it's like, <laughs> at that time, people were like, I, and Oscar Isaac's sure got enough. something for him. It's like, yeah, and it's. Sure enough, that man has now gotten big enough that we, thankfully, do not have to talk about Snucker Punch with him <laughs> in the same conversation. But I think that's it. I think that's yeah, all we can really talk the, about yeah. with this film. It's, it's like just, just bad and gross. Yeah, this whole day has been me basically going, I cannot wait to just watch this, and, or at least record this and get this out <laughs> Be of Be done with it. Move it on, is... put our brains... Your brain power toward other things. Yeah, because we're gonna after this, we are going through what is going to be mm, almost ten hour, ten plus hours of Snyder content. Yeah, because uh, and to be honest, with that, we're gonna have a lot to talk about with that because a lot of what this is a prototype for that Snyder will end up having more issues with later in terms of trying to seem deeper than he actually is or overcomplicating things that shouldn't be this complicated to kind of put on screen. <laughs> At least with those films, there is much more of conversation as to why those things have fallen flat. With this, right. everything is like, there's just very little substance in this film. To the point where, like, if Snyder at one point was like, I've looked back in my filmography, I would disown that film more <laughs> over anything else. I'd be like, good for you, man. At least you yeah. can see that. I mean, I think it's funny... That his wife, Deborah Snyder, who has been, I think, a producer for with him since his first film, you know, she talks about a lot like how Dawn of the Dead was such a big hit for him because that was his first film, 300 being his big hit. Mm-hmm. And then I think maybe talks about Watchmen here and there and talks about the DC films. I don't think I've Just ever ignores. heard I don't think I've ever heard her talk about Sucker Punch. She probably <laughs> did when they were doing the initial run oh, yeah, of yeah. press the lake. tours and stuff. But I think she just did an interview for the Snyder Cut talking about his career and their career together and their life together and I don't think Sucker Punch <laughs> is ever brought up. And I think that says it better than anything. Yeah. And even and more so that that's his one original film. Yeah, that's the saddest <laughs> part about it. It's like it was him and Steve Shibuya who yeah, I don't know what yeah. Steve Shibuya else has written, but it's like this is Snyder's original story mm-hmm. and original screenplay, and it led to the 
only film in his filmography to bomb this hard. Less than 40 million domestic, uh, about less than, I believe, 60 million. Uh, it might be a l- little over 60 million worldwide. Yeah, it may on a on a budget. Million. Yeah, on a budget that barely could make it back. <laughs> and yeah, that is Sucker Punch. And thank God we're done because. Yeah. In case we didn't, in case you didn't hear it in the SpongeBob SquarePants trilogy, or if we haven't made it clear enough in this episode, as this episode is coming out, which is you know recording this live, the thirteenth on the twentieth, we are going to start Zack Snyder's DCU trilogy. Mm-hmm. We are going to be talking about a duel, a duo of films in that one. We are going to be talking about 2013's Man of Steel and the infamous. Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice from 2016. Yeah, so we're basically breaking up what's what's kind of a Snyder DC trilogy, mm-hmm. in that you have Man of Steel, BVS, and then two versions of Justice League. Yeah, which, we're breaking that up into two parts. Which so considering next week is the first two, and then the following week will be the two Justice Leagues. Yeah. Which, considering the Snyder Cut is four hours, I feel like the the, the percentages are going to be 25% the Whedon Cut, 75% <laughs> Snyder Cut. Yeah. So we basically will probably just, we I will probably, honestly, we'll probably just name an episode the Zack Snyder <laughs> Justice League. Yeah, and we'll Zack just Snyder's do, Justice League. Yeah, we'll do some housekeeping as we do that. But <laughs> on the 13th, thank you so much for listening. Tune in on the 20th when we do Man of Steel and Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. But until then, I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. And thank you so much for listening. (laughs)